Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit ministers to us through worship and will continue to minister through us as we open up your scriptures. God, I thank you for our church, everything that you're doing, every place that you're taking us together. I pray that you would continue to mold us and to guide us into you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, well welcome everybody today. Good to have you join service with us. Uh, I am particularly excited to jump into uh, kind of a mini-series before we get into a longer series, and this is all building off of our finishing of Colossians uh, last week. We spent several months going through Colossians, really digging into what Paul was saying to the Colossian church, and uh, at the end of the book, he got into maturity, and that's what we talked about last week, uh, and so I really felt in prayer that God wanted us to explore that topic more uh, and really dive into how do we walk out this life with Christ, uh, better known as we're going to talk about it as the way of Jesus. How do we walk uh, this out? And so the, the text that we're going to be exploring today is Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14, and I'll read it in a little bit. Um, but before we get into the way of Jesus, what I want to spend is some time talking about generational curses as a lead-in to uh, our next series, The Way of Jesus. And uh, I'll start off with this. When I was younger, I was told uh, that uh, I had to watch out for what I did. And the reason why I had to watch out for what I did was because if I did it long enough, it would cause me and my kids to be cursed. Uh, and, you know, the, we read the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9 says this, God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, or really those who disobey him. I also learned that my parents uh, had their own curses uh, that they passed down to me. Things I had to be careful of and rebuke, uh, because they became my curses, just as they had allowed those curses to enter into my life. And as I got older, I saw this play out in several different occasions and several different ways. Um, and you know, one way would be like something like, "Oh, look, he's an alcoholic," uh, and then you would look at you know his parents and say, "Well, his his father was an alcoholic, so makes sense uh, that he's this way." Or his you know, her mother's an alcoholic and makes sense why she would turn out like that. And then uh, you would hear something like, look, they had a baby out of wedlock. And well, their parents had a baby out of wedlock. So this is just the generational curse that is uh, passed on from one generation to another. Their parents did it. They're going to do it. Most likely their kids will do it, too. And the list would go on. You know, you would be able to say this kind of for, for anything that would happen in people's lives. Um, you know, this is the way they are because this is a curse that was passed down from, as we read, one generation to another. Uh, and, uh, you know, this made more and more sense. And as you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is just a retelling of the law. Uh, this is 40 years after the wilderness. They're about to enter into the promised land. Uh, you know, the exodus in Mount Sinai was a long time ago. And so before they get into the promised land, Moses retells the law to make sure that everybody understands, you know, what are, what are the playing, uh, what's the playing ground uh, for them to walk into 
um, what God has for them. And there's a series of conditions that uh, they have to understand about the law before they walk into the promised land. And the, the conditions uh, that bring the curse of God are pronounced uh, if they do not keep the Torah, if they do not keep the law. And the last one says this, Deuteronomy 27, 26, it says, cursed be anyone who does not conform uh, the words, uh, not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, amen. After this pronouncement of, if you do not do this, you will get the curse of the law. If you do not obey this, you, uh, Deuteronomy 28 goes over uh uh, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. The curses were pretty bad. I mean, if you read through them, they're very long, they're very extensive. You can uh, go do that uh, for your, your quiet time this week. Uh, it was, it is, it's intense. You know, you look at them and you realize uh, under this curse, there's really no way uh, to survive. There's no way to flourish as a person. And so scared of this, honestly, I grew up seeing curses everywhere. Um, seeing curses come upon me in everything that I do in every corner. Uh, I, I lived in a lot of unhealthy fear. Uh, and that fear didn't only, wasn't only for me, but it would translate to a lot of other people. Uh, it would translate to my friends, people I was praying for. I would constantly try to rebuke and pray over spiritual uh, generational curses over my friends. Uh, but then one day I read this passage, and I don't know if you've ever read scripture, and if you haven't read scripture and this has happened, then I encourage you, before you read the Bible next time, pray this prayer that I pray often. God, I pray that you open up your word to me and that you speak to me through it. And so one day I was reading the word in this passage. Man, it, it set me free. Uh, it was one of those things that revolutionized my life and really changed the way uh, I looked at a lot of major things. And it's this passage I said before, Galatians chapter three, uh, verses 10 to 14. So I'm gonna read it. You can read it along with me, whether on your phone or your Bible, wherever you are. I encourage you, read along with me. I'm, I'm reading out of the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version translation, so you may not have the same translation, but I encourage you, open your Bible to Galatians chapter three, uh, verses 10, we'll read to 14. It says this. For all who rely on works of the law or the Torah are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, hang, who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, the heresy that uh, in Galatians, Paul was combating was one that said your salvation depended on works of the Torah law, meaning you had to follow the law perfectly in order for yourself to be saved. If you fulfilled the law, you were saved. If you didn't, simply, you weren't saved. They wanted 
all men to be circumcised. They wanted everyone to follow the food laws and adhere to them. And they wanted all the feasts to be properly celebrated. Paul says this to the Galatians as he's trying to combat this heresy. He says this, if you rely on the law for your salvation, you will have to abide by its curse because we understand that no one can fulfill the law. No one is perfect. And so if you are going to take the Torah law and say, I'm going to follow this. This is going to be what saves me. This is gonna be what my salvation is based on, what my righteousness is based on. Then guess what Paul says? Well, then you will have to abide by the full conditions of the law. And he's speaking to people that were formal, that were Gentiles. These were non-Jews. So they were non-Jews, uh, found the way of Jesus, and then were being now conformed uh, to the way of the Torah as well as the way of Jesus. And Paul is warning them, if you do this, the curse of the law will be upon you because now you are living in the conditions of the law, which is if you fulfill them, you will have blessing. And if you don't, you will have curses. And we know, we see the history of Israel. Paul was an excellent scholar in, in Israel's history. He knows it is impossible to fulfill the law. So you are walking into the curse at that moment when you say, my salvation is by works of the law. True salvation, Paul says, relies on faith in the work of Jesus. And I will read this again because it's important. Part of the work of Jesus, part of what Jesus did was this, and in verse 13 is, is the verse that really should, should blow you away. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the thing that Paul is saying. We all deserve the curse of the law. But Jesus comes and takes on that curse on the cross as payment for our sins so that we do not have to. He becomes the curse so that the curse does not fall on us. Now through him, not only is the curse broken, but now we walk in his blessing. The curse is no longer something that we adhere to. The curse is no longer something that comes upon us. But now, not only is the curse removed from our life in Christ, but in Christ, now the blessing of God comes upon us. It goes further. Paul says it doesn't only stop at the blessing. It isn't that Jesus just took on the curse of the law, that, that he already performed the greatest work, and in his work, we put our faith, we put our trust, we put our belief. And then on that, Christ, on that cross, Jesus takes on the curse. And then with that, we now receive the blessing. And then Galatians, Paul goes further in chapter four, verse four, five and six, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul's saying that we are adopted into this amazing family with Jesus as our brother and God as our father. And this entering into the family, Paul uses this analogy of, of being grafted in. And the analogy is when you, uh, is one of a plant, uh, of taking a plant that is healthy and a piece of a dead plant that needs to regrow and attaching them together. And you see that they grow into one and that other plant now gets grafted into the new plant and is able to receive life where it would have died otherwise. And so Paul uses this analogy for adoption. He says that we are grafted into the family of God. We were separated from him, but now we get grafted in that we become one with him. And with that, what do we get? We get the blessing of God, we get the inheritance of God, and we get the freedom of God. These amazing things. Not only does he take away the curse, but then he bestows upon us the firstborn son's inheritance. And it says specifically son here because in the culture, the firstborn son was the one who received the inheritance. And so now in the kingdom of God, we are all described with that same title of son and heir. Doesn't matter if we are men or women, we all, this is a title. This is not a statement of which sex we are. This is a title given to all of the children of God that when we are adopted into his family, when we are grafted into his family, we all now get the title of son and heir. And with that, the curse is, re is removed. We are redeemed or bought back by God. And we have the blessing, adoption, and freedom given to us by Christ. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to think that the only person that did not deserve the curse, Jesus, because he was the only one that was truly able to fulfill the law. He says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. He is the only one that was able to live this perfect life, to fully fulfill the law of God. The only one that did not deserve the curse was the only one that can truly take on the punishment for the curse for every single one of us. Here is the fact, church. Generational curses do not exist for God's children. Generational curses do not exist for God's children. To say that you are being actively cursed by God in any way is to say that you are not part of his family. You have not received his blessing and it is to say that you have not come to be saved. God does not curse his children. He does not allow a curse to remain on his children. It couldn't be any more clear in scripture than here. Paul is so clear here. Jesus took on the curse and everyone that comes to him through faith is free from that curse. As a child of God, you walk in the generational blessing of Abraham through Jesus. You do not walk in the curse. The Apostle John puts it this way in 
in John chapter three, verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God no longer is on us once we believe and obey Jesus. The only reason the wrath of God would remain on us is if we are not saved through Christ. To say his wrath and curse is still on us, is still on you, is the same as saying you are an unbeliever. And I want you to understand that. If you are saying that you are walking in a curse, in a generational curse, whatever it is, that is the same as proclaiming that you are an unbeliever, that you are not part of God's family. That is what John is saying here about his wrath. That is what Paul is saying here about the curse. Now, why is this important? Why am I covering this? The reason why I'm covering this is because you cannot change your life and habits when you think you are the way you are because you are being actively cursed by God. You can't change them. See, what you deal with here is not generational curses. What you are dealing with is generational habits. And God has a cure for that. The spiritual disciplines, the way of Jesus, sanctification, being filled with the Spirit. There are many names for the way that God cures generational habits. And they all lead to the same thing, the lifelong process of shedding our worldly habits, behaviors, desires, and goals, and filling them with God-glorifying ones. See, not only did God come and have a remedy for the curse, but he also came and he had a remedy for the condition of humankind. The habits that we pass down and continually take on the worldly things, the lust of the eyes and the flesh and the passions of the world, as it says in 1 John. The reason why this distinction is important between generational curses and generational habits is because when you are saying generational curse, you are saying this is God-made. But when you are saying generational habit, you are saying this is man-made. God made, I can't fight. You know, what am I gonna do? This is, this is God's hand upon me. I can't resist God's will. I can't resist what God wants. It says that in Romans chapter nine. I, I, there's, what power do I have when God has come against me with something? I don't have any. Man-made problems though, is exactly what Jesus came to fix. That's exactly what Jesus came to fix. There were countless nights, I'll tell you, when I, I prayed to break generational curses over my life or other people's lives. But when the prayers were done, I went back to my normal life with all my normal habits, and so did the other people I prayed for. Then when my life did not change, what did I do? I went and blamed God. Well, you didn't take away this curse from me. You didn't stop this from happening anymore. How can I contend with you? This was passed down from one to another. And God is up in heaven like, what are you talking about, Justin? 
I took the curse. You are my child. You are not cursed. I love you. You have my blessing. You have my inheritance. You have my freedom. And we use none of the avenues that God has given us to see long-lasting, true heart change in our lives. Many times we honestly just over-spiritualize our faith to a place where it has no practical purpose in our lives. See, our faith is not a gateway into heaven. It's a gateway into a new life that starts right now. The moment that we believe in Jesus, the moment that we put our faith, our allegiance, and give him lordship over our life, that is the moment eternal life begins. That is the moment new life begins. That eventually leads us to heaven, sure, but that is not the purpose of it. The purpose is new life right now, a regenerated life with a, that leads to a regenerated world, that we are all part of the mission of building the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. See, what happens is when we come, when, when I would have those prayers and, and those nights where I would pray and, and then nothing would happen and then I'd go and blame God and I've seen this spiral so many times in so many different people's lives. I prayed, God asked you to remove this from me, you didn't, and now look where I am, this is all your fault. Well, that, that becomes really a a reason to just continue our normal life as it has been going and to pass blame from one to another, whether it be our parents or whether it be God. The number one thing that obedience and allegiance to Christ needs to start with is a reforming of all of our daily habits. The moment that we give our life to Christ, the moment that we give our allegiance to Christ is the moment that our daily, the small things in our daily life need to begin to change. I used to spend my nights in TV, consumed hours in TV. Now, I spend my nights mostly in prayer, the word, and in study. I used to react by screaming when I was mad. Now, I react with patience. I used to use my power and title for personal gain. Now I use it to serve others. My mornings used to be just for me. Now they are for God. This is what it means to begin to change the daily habits of your life and allow God to do his work in you. If you remember the stories I started with, the alcoholic and the child out of wedlock, you get a new perspective on it, a scriptural perspective on it. Last week, I made it clear that we emulate what we most spend our time with, right? That was the, the crux of our uh, message, one of the things that, what, what does scripture say? That we, we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, what are we going to reap? We are going to reap of the flesh. If we sow to the spirit, we are going to reap of the spirit. 
All of us were raised by someone or some people, and we spent mostly the first 18 to 20 years of our life learning their habits and being around their way of life. Their way of life, the things that we have been around, is now bearing fruit in our life. The way they processed anger, the way they processed their emotions, the way they processed work, the way they processed family, the way they processed money, that is now at work in us, bearing fruit. It was tended to like a garden all of our life. If we grew up in a home, a home that uh, processed anger through passive aggressiveness, guess what? That is our natural mode of how to process anger. If we grew up in a mode that was in a house that was very confrontational and aggressive when it came to anger, that is our mode. I saw this most honestly when I got married because I didn't realize all of the subtle things that I did just because this is the way that I learned and the habits that I picked up, the garden in my heart that was tended to all the weeds that grew there over the years. But when I saw Heather do things a different way, I thought, like I didn't even realize there was another way to do things in some times. But there was a lot of processing for me of, man, there, there's so many habits in my life that have been formed over years that I have still not surrendered to Jesus. The, the way of life that we have grown up with, that is not a generational curse from God. That is a generational habit that the Spirit enables us to transform. Transform over time and with lots of hard work. See, salvation is a miracle. It happens in a moment, it happens in an instant. We go from being dead to being alive. Sanctification is a process. It's a lifetime. It is hard work. Often we only want the miracle and never the process. The theology of generational curses is a byproduct of that. How do I get rid of habits with none of the change? I just want a miracle with none of the hard work. I want the miracle without the process. That is, who? That's the, that's the world we live in, the instant gratification, the, I wanna continue doing me having what I want, doing what I want, but I just want all of this to magically disappear. But when we follow Jesus, it's not only a miracle of salvation, but it is a process of laying down our crown, of kneeling before our new Lord and walking in obedience to the new way of life that he gives us. This new way of life that in we can call it a million different things. Like I said, the Bible calls it several different things. Calls it the way the disciples first started calling it that in the book of Acts. Calls it 
being filled with the Spirit daily. Today, we call it the spiritual disciplines. We can call it habit formation. These are all things that say, how do I sit with God on a regular basis, do the things that God has called me to be, reflect the image of who God is, and really lead this new life that God has called me to lead with his blessing, with his inheritance, and with his freedom. And the beauty of this new life is it's not a burden. Jesus describes it as light and easy. And so this is not a yoke that we give of saying this is gonna be uh, one that, that, that is going to add more religious rules on top of you. No, this is going to Jesus and allowing him to transform and change our life every single day. And that's what sanctification is. It's the process of becoming more like God, of little by little, day after day, shedding the things of the world, the goals that I had, desires of the world, the habits of the world, the things of the world, and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Next week for part two, what's going to happen is, is I will get into forming new habits and the blueprint left by Jesus for us to follow when doing that. How do we take all the habits and learned behavior we have picked up from our family, from the schooling system, from our friends, and work all these learned habits and behaviors that we've gotten from all these places that we spend all of our time and they've taught us about everything from sex to relationships to love and money. How do we allow these things, all these things, and allow them to be transformed by God to radically change our life over time? How does that happen? Well, that's what we're gonna be covering next week. And so I hope that you continue to track with us through this series. My hope was today that we can walk away with saying, God is not cursing his children. In fact, he's done the exact opposite. He's blessed us with an inheritance and with freedom. And in that, I know that he has given me all the tools I need to live in complete obedience to Jesus and walk out a life of sanctification that happens every single day as I am filled by his spirit and empowered by him to change every aspect of me so that it looks like every aspect of him. I invite you to walk along this journey with us as we look at what does that mean for my every single day habits what does that look like for my mornings and my nights and my days, for my work life and my family life? How is it? What is the blueprint that Jesus left us to walk out this way of life, radical transformation? And so I pray that you journey with us through this as we do that. Pray with me. God, I thank you I thank you, Jesus, that you took on the curse. 
I thank you, Jesus, that the moment I came to you in faith is the moment, God, that I walked under your covering, the covering that took upon the curse and blanketed me in your righteousness, in your blessing, and and gave me the title of heir of son. To now have your inheritance and your freedom. And in that moment, you empowered me with every tool I needed to walk this life of freedom, to walk this life of empowerment, to shed all of the things of this world, the desires of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh. Lord, to leave all those things behind, to be in the world, as you say, but not of it. And I thank you that you left us a blueprint to do this, to not struggle blindly in the dark trying to figure out what to do. But you yourself, Jesus, left us a lifestyle that we can emulate and do empowered by your spirit to walk in complete obedience and surrender. And Lord, I pray that as we walk this out, that we would find the light and easy burden and yoke of Jesus to walk in freedom and blessing with the confidence of inheritance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.